0: So it's that time of year when we express our Christmas rants. So I'll do it in a sentence. You're all aware that as our culture gets more secularized, the true story and meaning of Christmas is becoming lost in the generic holidays. Many of those who still have some idea that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ don't believe the miraculous aspects of that. And one of those things that are, are not believed is the, the story of the virgin birth. Actually, we, we're going to call it the virgin conception because that's where the miracle took place, was in the conceiving of Christ. 57% of Americans still believe in the virgin birth or the virgin conception, which is actually h- higher than I thought. A maze is still that high. Part of our purpose today is to see what difference belief in the virgin conception of Christ makes. But we're going to do it, uh, make sure that we're paying attention to to the context of Matthew chapter 1, where this is talked about. In uh, the first section of Matthew chapter 1, that we looked at last week, Jesus' family tree, in uh, verses 1 to 17, the record of the genealogy or the origin of Jesus the Messiah, Matthew's main point was to show that Jesus had the right lineage through Abraham and and David to qualify to be the Messiah. And he presented it in such a way as to demonstrate that the generation of Jesus' birth was, the, the, the timing was right for him to come. He did that by organizing his generations of Christ's lineage into three groups of 14 generations so that this generation fit the uh, timing uh, for, for the, the prophecies leading up to Christ and for the generations leading up to Christ. But we, at this point, we are left with a problem, and that problem is that Matthew showed Joseph to be the son of David. So he's, he's saying, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so, so-and-so is the father so-and-so. But when he gets up to, to Joseph, He changes his language, and he says, rather than saying Joseph was the father of Jesus, he says, Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, or Messiah. And as we reiterated last week, that Messiah is the Jewish term, and Christ is the Greek term we inherited in English for the Savior King, uh, the Christ and Messiah. So why go through all the trouble to show Jesus is the descendant of David through Joseph if Joseph is not his father? So we turn to Matthew 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. So we'll read that. Just a few verses. I spared you from most of the genealogy last week, so this week I'll read you the actual passage. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So uh, if you would permit me to pray, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for this account of the birth of Jesus. Maybe some of us have heard it dozens and dozens of times. Uh, Help us to see what we need to see, to help us grow in faith and wonder and amazement and love for Christ and gratitude for what he's done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, the verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ, or the, literally the origin of Jesus Christ, took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So betrothed is much stronger commitment than our contemporary engagement. Um, It was a legal arrangement before witnesses to marry. It could only be broken by death, in which case the woman would be considered a widow, or by divorce, in which case that would be due to adultery. About a year after the initial engagement, so to speak, uh, the the young woman, and she was pretty young, typically she would be 13 or 14, like your 8th or ninth graders, getting married, imagine that, yeah, would leave her father's house and with a public ceremony go to live with her husband and the marriage would be consummated. This is what before they came together referred to. Before they lived together and came together physically, Mary was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. We're not given the details as to how the Holy Spirit did that. It just says, Matthew just tells us that it took place and it's simply a a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Um, The Spirit of God was busy in creation. The Spirit of God is said to give life. The Spirit of God was at work in the life of Jesus as an adult. So it's not surprising that uh, the Holy Spirit would would create Jesus in the womb as an embryo, as amazing and unique as the Spirit-created virgin conception is. There were other stories of supernatural or miraculous, so to speak, conceptions in pagan religions. For example, in Hinduism, the divine Vishnu, after living as a fish, a tortoise, a boar, and a lion, entered Devaki's womb and became her son, Krishna. So that's a little bit different story. Critics allege the gospel account of the virgin conception of Christ was just like one of those, just legend um, made up and not true or was an adaptation of one of these other conception stories. A a former pastor of a large church in Michigan wrote a book in 2005 called Velvet Elvis. In it he wrote, What if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? And archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing the gospel Writers threw in to appeal to the followers of Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular at the time of Jesus, whose gods had virgin births. Well, that would be a problem because the Scripture teaches otherwise. So it would be an error in Scripture, which would be a huge problem. And are we surprised that there are false versions of the true thing? There's false versions of all kinds of scriptural truths, so it's not surprising that those are out there. The virgin conception is not something that a pre-scientific, naive, uneducated people were gullible to believe because they really didn't get how babies are conceived. They would have had to receive the testimony by faith just like we do. Joseph doesn't immediately jump to the conclusion that it's a virgin conception uh, on his own. So in verse 19, we read that Mary's husband, Joseph, because he was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So again, calling, her, calling Joseph Mary's husband because of the seriousness of the betrothal, Joseph was a just man, he was a righteous man, so he was diligent and careful to keep the, the Old Testament law. And in the Old Testament, the Old Testament penalty for not being a virgin at the time of marriage and lying about it, or for consenting adultery by an engaged woman, was death. By the time Israel was under Roman rule, divorce was the normal way to deal with these sins. So Joseph, being a righteous man, is going to divorce her. But he doesn't want to take her through the shame of public accusation and trial, so he decides to do it privately—a private divorce. Can you imagine how conflicted Joseph must have been? And this godly young woman—and in and, and Luke's gospel, it's very apparent how how godly and devout she is—that he she's um, pregnant by adultery, and she perhaps lied to him because. In Luke's Gospel, you read that the angel Gabriel appeared to her and told her that what's in you is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So if she tried to tell that to Joseph, how, how does he process that? He doesn't really have any other explanation for it, so he doesn't get it, and he um, he resolves to divorce her. So God sends him an explanation in verse 20. As Joseph thought about these things, behold, or like, check this out, An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For what she's pregnant with is from the Holy Spirit. The fact that the angel calls Joseph, son of David, points out what is at stake in his decision not to marry Mary. That is, Jesus not being considered a descendant of David because it has to come through the Father and thus not having a a legitimate right to be the Messiah. So the angel is calling Joseph to take Mary as his wife and to give her son a name which will confirm his legal recognition of Jesus as his own son and thus as a son of David and valid candidate, at least, for, for being the Messiah. You might think, well... Come on, is it really that important that Jesus received legal status as a son of David if he's been conceived by the Holy Spirit? I mean, that's amazing in and of itself, so isn't that enough to pull it off? The problem is God's word said the Messiah would be a, a, a son of David, a descendant of David. So he had to be that. Jesus would teach one day, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, not to abolish it, Not one iota or dot, not one iota or dot, not one Hebrew vowel point. So in the Hebrew, you have all consonants, and the vowels are little points, like little apostrophes and little dots. So not the least fragment of of the law is going to fall to the ground without being fulfilled. What God reveals in his word must be fulfilled to the tiniest detail. And that's, um, if you are in favor of God's word, that's a happy thing. If you're opposed to God's word, then it's not such a happy thing because God is going to fulfill every detail of his word and none of it's going to fall to the ground. So the angel goes on in verse 21 and says, She, that is Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel reveals to Joseph that Mary will give birth to a boy and that Joseph is to name him Jesus. Jesus was the common Greek version of the Hebrew name Yahashua or Joshua, which means God or Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. It was a very common name in that day, very common. The reason Joseph is to name him Jesus is because, not because it's a common name, but because of what the name stands for. He will be a savior and so very appropriate name. He will save his people from their sins. The first application of his people is to the the people of Israel, the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham. He will save his people from their sins. Um, Jesus said, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But as Gentiles, we're pretty happy that Jesus also came to fulfill the promise to Abraham that um, he would, through his descendant, through his offspring, would be a blessing to all the nations, to all peoples all over the world. So, Jesus came to fulfill that as well. And we also saw that in Jesus' lineage there were some non Jewish people, some non Jewish women in particular. So, there's hope for the, the salvation of Gentiles. What the, um, what the Jewish people were expecting in their Messiah was the restoration of the throne of a king of, uh, of Davidic descent who would rule from Jerusalem, deliver Israel from Roman domination and other enemy nations, and usher in peace and prosperity. But the initial mission of the Messiah, according to the angel, was not to do that first up front, but to save his people from their sins. We, we get why they had that expectation, because there are lots of prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus bringing political and economic deliverance, prosperity and peace, and deliverance from enemies. But there were also many promises that God would cleanse his people from their sins and forgive them. For example, Isaiah 53 says of the Messiah that the righteous one, my servant, the Messiah, shall make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So the the prophet said that Jesus, that the Messiah, would would bear the sins of his people and and provide forgiveness for them. And many other texts in Jeremiah 31 speaks of the then-future new covenant in terms of forgiveness of sins. And Ezekiel 36 also speaks of a coming new relationship of God with his people where he would give them uh, new hearts and new spirits and cleanse them from their sins. So that, that was on the radar of the, the prophetic testimony. But Israel was like us, in that we think our, our real problem is not our sins, but our circumstances, right? We think if I need any help at all, it's getting out of my bad circumstances. But God, What we need most from God is to save us from our bad situation. Now God can and does and will save his people from their bad circumstances. Um, He does that sometimes now, thankfully, not always. And he does it in eternity, when we're with him forever, completely. But the first and foremost important matter for any human being is to have a right relationship with God, and, and there's where the sin barrier gets in the way. The only reason there are bad circumstances in the world is because of sin. It's not a defect in creation. It's a defect that, that we sinned against a holy God. This doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens to us is a direct consequence of our personal sin or that God is punishing us for specific sins all the time. It does mean that we live in a world cursed by sin, and as sinners we are vulnerable and liable to the hazards of living in a world under sin. The fact that the mission of Jesus the Messiah in his first coming was to save his people from their sins means that sin was and is the fundamental problem of every person. So this is a time of year when we get to enjoy colds. And the cause of colds is is a cold virus. There's a technical name for it, but... Anyway, cold virus works. And the only way to cure the common cold, we can treat the symptoms. We try to treat the symptoms with various medications. But, but to actually cure it, you need to either develop 100% resistance to the, to the virus or to kill the virus. If your body is resistant to the disease, the symptoms are relieved as well. Jesus didn't come into the world just to alleviate the symptoms of our sins or of living in a sin-ruined world. He came to save us from the disease of sin. But in saying that, sin is not a disease of which we are merely victims, right? Sin is rebellion against God. It is opposition to God and violation of His will and His ways in thought, word, and deed. So Jesus came to save us from our sins because they deserve God's judgment. You say, well, hold on a minute. Isn't God a God of love? You're saying God judges people for their sins. I thought Christmas was about God's love. You're right. It's massively about God's love. It's about His incredible love for us. But the fact that God sent Jesus to save us from our sins shows God didn't stop being just in order to love us. Rather, we see how great his love for us is by saving us through the gift of Jesus, especially when we see the rest of the story that Jesus became our sin bearer and the substitute for our punishment. So there can be no better Christmas gift than to be saved from your sins. Verse 22, Matthew gives us some commentary on why this took place. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. All this took place. All what took place? The virgin conception, the birth and naming of the child took place to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 7.14. This was spoken originally to King Ahaz, Actually, Ahaz is how they would have pronounced it, around 735 BC, when Judah, the southern portion of Israel, was being threatened by Syria and Israel, the northern portion of Israel, called Israel, or Samaria. Ahaz refused to listen to Isaiah's report that God would deliver his people. Through Isaiah, God told Ahaz, or Ahaz, to ask for a sign, no matter how great, to confirm God's promise of deliverance. Ahaz uh-huh, said he would not ask or test the Lord. It was false humility. He just didn't believe God was really going to do it. And he really put his money in trying to bribe the Assyrian army to um, beat his enemies rather than trust in God. The Lord says, well, okay, if you're not going to ask me for a sign, then I will give you a sign myself. The, the time of soon coming devastation of Judah's enemies by the Assyrian invasion, would would be before the son called Emmanuel, soon to be born, has grown up. He will be born to a virgin, not a miraculous birth, at the, at the first application of that prophecy, but uh, to one who had been a virgin. And even though Assyria overran Judah four times, still the, the line of David was preserved and Judah was ultimately saved. So God did deliver in spite of Ahaz's doubts. Matthew uses the prophecy because he sees Isaiah developing the concept of a son who is Emmanuel, God with us, and a son of David that points beyond the near future merely human son that was uh, talked about in that prophecy in that immediate time frame. And so, for example, in Isaiah 9, uh, to us a, a child is born, a son is given, and his name shall be Mighty God. And Isaiah 11 talks about a prophecy of a, of a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse is David's father um, who shall be filled with the Spirit of God and shall save and judge in righteousness. So he sees this development of this prophecy, and, 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 and Matthew says, I get it, I get it. That was pointing to Christ. So in the angel's revelation, well, Matthew believed in God's purposeful ordaining of, of the words and the events of the Old Testament so that we see their fullest significance Only in light of their ultimate fulfillment in the Messiah. In other words, understanding God's fullest intention of many Old Testament passages and patterns are marked do not open until Christmas. You get it a little bit in your own time, but massive fulfillment comes with the time of Christ. And so, in the angel's revelation that as a virgin Mary conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit, Matthew sees in Isaiah the developing pattern of a wonder child who would be called. Emmanuel. Now, the, the angel had told uh, Joseph to, to name the child Jesus, but here he says he should be called Emmanuel. So what what is it? What's up with that? Is it Jesus or Emmanuel? Jesus was his personal name because he will save his people from their sins as Savior. That they shall call him Emmanuel, his name Emmanuel, means that his people will increasingly recognize that the Messiah is not only a human descendant of David, he is also God with us. And that becomes clearer and clearer as you progress through the Gospels and get into the New Testament. So Jesus came in a way that appeared to be less than expected in the popular religion of the day. Hey, he's going to be a mighty political deliverer. But he turned out to be more than they expected as well. He came in a humble package that contained God with us. So his name is God saves, God with us. In military sense, it's like um, God didn't just send in airstrikes. He sent in ground troops. And as was said earlier, Jesus did not come just to save us from the bad things in our lives and in the world. He came to save us from our sins and save us into a relationship with the living God. He doesn't save us just to get us out of hell. He does that, but he saves us into a relationship with God. That's what God has designed all along, for us to to be with us and us to be with him. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And in the age to come, we will, Jesus will be with us in full glory. It's, it's what we long for. What Our deepest longings will only be satisfied in seeing the fully resurrected Christ, Christ in his full glory. So in the last couple of verses, in verses 24 and 25, Joseph marries Mary. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife Joseph is obedient to the angel. He takes Mary as his wife. He accepts her by public ceremony and by taking her into his house. But he doesn't know her physically, in physical union with her, until she had given birth to a son. Although Matthew doesn't tell us why Joseph did that, it seems reasonable that the reason he did that was to make it very clear that this was a miraculously conceived child, that he had nothing to do with it. Mary was not a perpetual virgin because we read later in the Gospels that Jesus had brothers and sisters, which would have been a challenge to be a brother and sister of Jesus, no doubt. Joseph also obeyed the angel of the Lord in calling Mary's son Jesus. So in accepting Mary as his wife and giving his son the name Jesus, he has adopted Jesus as his own giving him the legal status as the son of David, and thus can be the promised Messiah, the Savior King. In light of our theme carryover from the story of the Old Testament Joseph, God meant it for good. God meant Mary's Christ's pregnancy for good, because through it came the Savior Jesus. What difference does the virgin conception of Jesus the Messiah make? I told you about the, the, uh, the book Velvet Elvis, and the author of that book, um, compared the virgin birth to a spring on a trampoline. He said, if you discover one spring is bad, in other words, if you discover the virgin birth isn't true, does that mean you can't keep jumping? Does the loss of the virgin birth mean you can no longer live as a Christian if you reject the virgin birth? I should mention this author is no longer the pastor of an evangelical church. He's actually joined the, the ranks of, uh, of Oprah's spiritual advisors, and he has his own uh, show on the, the Oprah network. The virgin conception is foundational to the greatest miracle of all and one of the essential truths of the Christian faith, and that is that Jesus is the God-man. Jesus was and still is both God and man. And he had to be both in order to save us. Because nobody could save us but God, but nobody could be our substitute unless he was human. So he had to be both. As Jesus was born of Mary, he was truly human. He was not just a part human, he was fully human. And as Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and called God with us, he was truly God. And and Matthew uh, later presents in his gospel that Jesus was called and was the Son of God. And that's what the angel said to to Mary in in Luke's uh, presentation of of Gabriel speaking to her. He said, because Mary said, how am I going to have a baby? Because I have not yet been with a man. And, and the angel said, "Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, overpower you and overshadow you, and therefore the offspring in you is, the conceived baby in you is going to be called the Son of God." As Joseph needed to have this truth about Jesus revealed to him by God, so do we. we it's not something we could have like tapped into, read the stars or whatever, or searched out on our own. We had to have it revealed to us. He received it by an angel appearing to him in a dream. We receive it through the Scripture. As Joseph needed to believe that the child in Mary's womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit, would save his people from their sins and be God with us. So we need to believe this. For Joseph, it meant being united to Jesus' mother, trusting in the truth about Jesus revealed to him by God and adopting Jesus as his own. For us, it means being united to Jesus by faith, trusting in God's revealing of him as the Savior from our sins through his becoming a man, living the perfect life, his atoning death, and his resurrection. So let's pray and continue our worship. Father, would you so cause these truths to take root in our heart, this amazing, incredible truth, that our Savior is and was God with us. And as God with us, he came and started as a a human zygote, a human embryo. And we can't... That it's something we could not have made up. It's only through your word that we would know this is true, that Jesus is the Savior King, the son of Abraham, the son of David, and he's also your, your son, the son of God. So, Father, cause our hearts to be more deeply in love with him, more deeply trusting of his grace work in our lives. That how deep the mess we are in that so powerful of a Savior, so miraculously of a Savior, had to be provided for us, that it couldn't be just self-help, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, uh, start being religious. Uh, it had to be a, a, an amazing miracle savior. That Jesus is and was born of Mary, adopted by Joseph, stood in line for the Davidic king, and yet he was your son as well. So thank you, Father, for giving us so completely adequately, powerfully, wonderfully, so great a salvation. What kind of love is this beyond anything that we could ever fathom that you would give us, your only son, for our redemption, to to save your people from their sins? Thank you, Father.